Welcome to the Everything Music Ed podcast. I'm your host, Tom Borning. In this podcast, you'll hear from musicians, music educators, composers, conductors, and others about their experiences in learning and teaching music. In this episode, we talk with Sean Hagen, a professor of music at Berklee School of Music in Boston. We talk about his unique teaching position at the college, and we also talk about teaching composition and improvisation with our younger students. I hope you enjoy this unique outlook on music education, and I'm sure you'll enjoy Sean Hagen. See, uh, did I see you went to the Newport Jazz Festival? Yeah, it was an epic, epic weekend. It was great. My cousin's a big music lover, so he came from uh, Pennsylvania. We spent three days there. It was, it was incredible. I've never been. I, I, it's embarrassing that it's like, what do we live an hour away from that? And I've never been. Don't don't even don't even feel that way. Like I, same for me. Like I, I live in Cumberland, Rhode Island now, which is I'm 50 minutes from Newport, and I haven't been. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going this year, and then we're going to make it like an annual trip. So it was, uh, it was interesting to to learn and navigate. You know what you got to do, the logistics of it, and so we'll be better prepared for next time. But it was an epic, epic performance. I mean, they had everybody: Hancock, Soul Live, Diana Krall. I mean, uh, gosh, um, Terrence Blanchard. I mean, it was insane. Christian McBride. Unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I got to do it. I don't know. I don't know what my problem is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spend the three days, man. It's totally worth it. But the trick is you got to get there like early, like right when the gates before the gates open. And there's a whole strategy to that because, again, it's like you're camping out on the lawn. Right. So you got to like get your blanket out, get your chairs out, grab your grab your, your territory because everybody just flocks like uh, an hour before to get their spot, you know, and then you camp out for the day, but it's cool. Cause you can leave your stuff and then you just walk around cause they've got three other stages. Oh, that's, um, that's great. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Gotta do go. it. All right. Um, <laughs> so I'm here with Sean Hagen, your position, the Dean of pre-college online and professional programs. Is that right? At Berkeley school of music. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What? Started in that role. Um, I've been here nine years now, but I started in that role in May of 23. Wow. So what, what does that, I, what does that look like? I'm just curious. That's like pretty foreign to me, that, that, uh, <laughs> description. I'm actually still trying to figure that out too, but no. Um, so it was interesting because Berkeley online has always been its own entity and separate of the institution at, at, at the college, uh, for many, many years. And it's, you know, uh, it's been around for gosh, over 20 years now. Um, so when I came on, it went through a, a complete transformation, and they, they formed a division because with that, uh, they brought on the summer programs, which used to belong over to academic affairs. And so when summer programs came over to Berkeley Online, they formed this much larger division. And so uh, so my role is I oversee as dean. I oversee all of our Berkeley Online academics, so the degree programs, certificates, courses, all, all the development behind that. 
um, and supporting our, our team with that. Um, all of summer programs, and the summer programs are, are basically just about 30 programs of, from like ages you know 13 through you know 18 plus. So that includes our, our Spire Five Week, our big you know sort of landmark program. Um, and then that's the pre-college piece, of the summer programs. And then the uh, professional programs is everything else, whether we do teacher training, whether we're doing, you know, master classes and bringing in professionals from outside, um, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a pretty big job. It's, it's, um, but I still collaborate with a lot of my Berkeley colleagues when I was working on campus, you know, previous to my role here. And, uh, but it's a great synthesis of all the things I've done over the years. Oh, that's neat. So now let's, uh, let's take a trip back in time. The, the funny thing about you and I, is that we grew up in the same town. You went to the same high school as me, except you're way older than me. And uh, <laughs> you you had graduated. <laughs> I got to be honest with you, you look friggin' way younger than me. So, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to keep it keep it 15 years younger, you know. <laughs> but uh, you uh, you graduated four years before me, and you yeah. went to Berkeley School of Music, am I right? Yeah, I went. Uh, I did the typical Berkeley thing. I went eighty nine to ninety three. I went in as a piano major, trumpet minor, and then I left for ten years to go do my thing because I had all these opportunities get dropped in my lap pretty much, and I knew they weren't going to happen again. So I left for ten years before I went back in my thirties to finish my degree, and I went back over three summers, oh four, oh five, oh six, to finish my undergraduate degree at Berkeley, and then I went on and got my uh, master's uh, from IUPUI in uh, music technology. Oh yeah, I definitely want to talk more about that in a little bit. But let's let's back up now. You, what do you remember about early music education for you, um, in terms of, you know, things that stuck out to you in a good way, things that stuck out to you maybe in a bad way? And obviously, you, you come from a musical family. For people that don't know, John Hagen is John's dad, and John worked at Berkeley for many, many years, right? 40, and, uh, 44 years. Yeah, 44 years. Yeah, so, so, and is your mom a singer? Am I making that up? Yeah, she was a vocalist, yeah. Yep. Okay, Still so, is. right, so, um, you came from a musical family, is my point, and so, uh, it's not a shock that you went into music. That being said, my wife and I are both music teachers, and our kids don't play a single instrument anymore at all. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I failed. We failed. <laughs> But they love music. They appreciate music. So I shouldn't say that. But still. Um, but anyways, just things you remember about early music education, good and bad, and about, you know, how you yeah. grew up in, in, in music and music education and, and the things you remember about it. I think when I look back, the fact that I was able to start at a very early age in school with music programs you know, at, at first grade, because I started violin in first grade, and then I, I then I took on piano in third, and then trumpet in fourth, and I kept all three of those instruments going through high school, private lessons, ensembles, groups, everything. Um, and unfortunately, you can't really do that much anymore. You know, you don't see that. Like, your kids are getting started much later, you know, lucky if they're starting in sixth grade, you know, to start an instrument. So, so for me, I think that was pivotal to my career and everything that I'm doing that I was able to start that early on my instruments and, and have that musical training. Um, I think if, you know, not necessarily the bad thing about it, but the, the, the downside of it is that we're so entrenched in tradition 
that we're not we're not teaching kids about with along with their music and being able to play their instrument really well they've got to do more than that right so entrepreneurship and what does creative entrepreneurship means is like how do i take my music artistry and treat that like a business because that's what it requires these days you have to do more than one thing and you got to do it well and that was so taboo to even be talking about that it's like you got to play your instrument really well and that's it and it's like I found out later in life, it's like, no, you, there's so much more you have to do. So I think on the, on the negative side of it is that it was just, you didn't go there. You didn't talk about anything else outside of performing on your instrument. It was like, cause it diminishes your art, which is completely false, you know? And so I spent, you know, a good part of my career when I got into teaching finally, like doing just that, like, you know, teaching kids about, okay, play your instrument really, really well. Fantastic. What else do you want to do? Right. Let's talk about how you're going to turn that into business. How are you going to sustain yourself in music and the arts full time? Right. What's the mindset you have to take? And so, um, you know, if I were to look at sort of the good and bad, I think that's what it, that's what it would be is that it was so hyper focused on just performance aspects. And, I'm, and as you know, it's like one percent of the industry. There's so much more, you know, that that uh, you can do with your with your art and your music. Yeah. So so you said you started violin with Jerry Lejoie, I bet. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I played violin for one year in third grade. Um, that, that wasn't pretty, but um, <laughs> but you also played piano. Yeah, did you have piano lessons from a young age? Or yeah, I started third grade in piano. I studied with um, a Juilliard graduate, so it was classical tradition. So I had a classical foundation. Um, and then once I got to, to Berkeley, then I started getting into jazz and contemporary, you know, blues styles as well. So that classical foundation was wonderful. So if anything, that, that set the groundwork, but, um, I needed to be able to play more than just, you know, classical music, you know, and play all the other styles and then trumpet and forth with Alan, Alan Michon. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, I, I'm happy that you brought up that about, about, music business and entrepreneurship and and all that stuff because I keep thinking and this is so horrible coming from you know a band director who teaches the the stereotypical you know flute clarinet saxophone trumpet and all that stuff and I I have these conversations with friends of mine all the time and I'm like it's amazing that we don't do more of like guitar ensemble or rock ensemble or you know, I will say the good news is that in Falmouth, grades 7 through 12, we have music technology classes. Mm-hmm. And where the kids at least experiment with composing and arranging and things like that. Which I think, I don't want to say it's unique, but I'm really proud that we have that program in Falmouth. But it, yeah, I, to me it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love band and orchestra and all that literature so much. I can't, I can't even tell you, but you know, I'm old and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like we, I, I feel like it's, are we still shoving a antiquated music education down a lot of our students throat a little bit with that? We, we are. We still. And it's funny you mention all that because when I got off the road from Torin, you know, playing keyboards in a bunch of bands and stuff, when my son was born, he's now, gosh, he's going to be 22 next month. I'm like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So it was transferring my skills a little bit. I'm like, so I landed a, a, a college prep high school uh, director of instrumental music job at Pingree School in the North Shore of Massachusetts. 
And it was the same thing. You know, I, I was in charge of the jazz ensemble. It was a small school, so I was able to really, um, you know, nurture and still have those traditional ensembles that you and I grew up with, right? So I had the jazz ensemble. Um, I had a small chamber music group because um, the whole school was only about 300 kids. So I had maybe 25 of those kids in my groups. Um, but funny you should mention it. And this is we're going back to early 2000. It's like I wanted to look for ways to really invigorate and, and, and re-energize music education for the kids there. And there was no guitar ensemble, so we started one. There was no percussion ensemble, so we started one. There was no music production technology program, so we started one. And I can't tell you how important that was and how transformative it was for those kids because I got, you know, kids in those classes that I did not see in any of my ensembles that actually went on into music as a result of that, that were not in any of my other ensembles. They weren't in band. They weren't in any of they, but they wanted the music production. They loved it. They took private lessons, but they had no interest in being in any of the ensembles. It's just not where they wanted to be. So I wanted to meet them where they were. And that's, you know, we're, we're going back to like early 2000, but that's when a lot of that was starting to come into play is like, okay, let's try some different things. Let's maybe do songwriting, but it's not as, um, it was nowhere near what it is now. Like I'm, there's many, many school systems. And as you've talked about with Falmouth that are doing these kinds of things, but still very much in pockets and not in a broad sense. Um, you know, cause it's, you got to look at where kids are. It's just how we're teaching music. You know, I, I do think they need to learn to play some sort of an instrument, which by the way, now, um, you know, electronic, uh, you know, an electronic digital instrument is an instrument now. So if you have a controller and a laptop, your computer laptop is an instrument now. It is not a machine. And it requires very specific skill set to manipulate and play and, and do the software. I mean, you look at Berkeley, you know, uh, Berkeley College of Music and, and their their new major they just launched where it's a performance major on an electronic instrument because that's what we're seeing out there. That's what kids, how they're experiencing and you know consuming music and the artists that they're seeing you know they're not on a trumpet they're not on a necessarily a piano they're on a ableton live controller and they're manipulating all of these things in the technology but it does require you know some theory and some music you know some traditional aspects to fully make those connections and understand it so I, we need to continue to do both to a certain degree and make those connections to tradition to what they're into now you know and not force it because as, as what starts to happen is they lose interest because we're not meeting them where they are and it's not what they want to do, then they lose interest in music because it's not how they're consuming music and experiencing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's j- just to keep kids interested. That I, I couldn't agree more. And to have an appreciation for music that's that's lifelong rather than, you know, I will say music education has changed a lot. Like, I don't know, it, we probably had some of the same music teachers growing up, but, you know, general music class as like a young kid it used to be like these are the names of the notes on the staff yep and let's be honest if you're not playing an instrument which is in best case scenario or singing playing an instrument or singing best case scenario in you know in a high school you're hoping for what 15 20 percent tops between chorus and band and orchestra yeah you're there's still 80 percent 80 percent of the kids don't need to learn to read music. Why Why did we used to... Now, I will say, I don't think general music teachers do that that much anymore. It's more about, you know, can you keep a steady beat? Can you sing in tune? Let's get some of those music patterns in our ears and let's listen to different styles and stuff. And I, um, I, I like to see how music education has changed a little bit in that way. Um, 
but still i i just sometimes i i hear about what happens in some general music class and i'm like that's that's 1980s right there and i i get a little nervous about that because it's what we grew up doing you know and i i think that about myself all the time it's like okay i grew up doing this and so one thing i i was wondering from you like one of the things that's in the in the national frameworks for music education is composing Mm -hmm. and you're a composer which we'll talk about that in a little bit um but how how would you envision other than like a music technology class if if a student was in orchestra or band or jazz band or whatever like how would you bring up the idea or teach or introduce the idea of composing to students in say a a high school ensemble or even a junior high ensemble i mean let's look at jazz for a minute i think the the best way to introduce the the composing piece of it is just through their through their solos through improvisation right but actually the act of going through like write out your solo right but let's use technology to do that sure we could do some music notation i mean we've got you know i've got an ipad with a notability app that turns my ipad into a music staff right but um start to teach them composition through through improvisation you know and and you know write out your solos because again it's like you know and you know it's it's you know clark terry said it best it's uh you know uh you you want to i'm trying to remember what he said i think he said it was imitate assimilate innovate right so you know have them you know listen to the the greats but then you know from that start to write out their souls and introduce that composition piece of it i mean there's great ways that you can do that um you know also you know just even that just even as as a supplementary piece to the curriculum songwriting right it's it's like take the time it's like you know and even just with the use of technology and, and composition i mean i had students you know recording their own practice sessions using technology Right. Okay. But write out your solos as part of that. Let's and let's use some, you know, uh, some notation apps to be able to do this. You're introducing Finale. You're introducing Sibelius and Dorico Pro and some of these other ones. Um, But I think that's ways that you can do that. Or, you know, in in music notation or in composition with some of the traditional music they're working on, it's like, okay, let's look at this phrase. Let's look at this four measure or eight measure phrase and take the first part of it when we're talking about, let's say, antecedent and consequence. You know, how would you write if you didn't see this these last four measures? What would be your response? And why don't you write out what musically what that would be, right? So they have something to go with. Okay, what would be your answer to this particular phrase? And then they start to write that out. So, but it gets them to see all the connections to the music. So, it's it's a matter of we have the tradition, but let's start to to integrate you know, some other ways of learning and some other ways of teaching these concepts within the music. Like we don't have to stick with like, okay, every rehearsal or every period of my jazz band has to be spent on playing and breaking down the sections of the music and do it. Let's stop, put our instruments down and let's talk about some composing things, right? Let's talk about some, work it into the curriculum. I mean, even if you just, you, you took like, you know, 15 minutes of the end of a period, let's say maybe once or twice a week, just to introduce some of that, it's going to completely transform the curriculum and it's going to completely transform their experience because they're getting introduced to these things. They're like, you know what? This is actually making jazz band a little bit more hip and cool. I like this part of it. I can write out my solos. It's like, oh, hey, your homework for this week, you know, yes, we're going to teach you how to improvise, but I want you to write it out. Like physically write out your, your soul as, as an example. 
um, for those types of composition things. Yeah, and I also think it's interesting that, you know, us as band directors, choral directors, orchestra directors, we we get so wrapped up in, well, where am I going to get the time? we got to work on the stuff to get to the concert. My answer right. to that would be, and I remember going to um, a session at Massachusetts Music Educators Conference yeah. uh, by Elliot Del Borgo, and he said, play easier music. Yeah. Play play easier music. So like, yeah. okay, so instead of doing, you know, two grade fours and a grade five piece with my high school right. top group or whatever, do two fours and a three. Yeah. And the time that you save by not working on a grade five piece, yeah, it's great for that top 10% of that group to have something challenging or whatever a masterwork. Well, guess what? There's some great grade three pieces out there and you could do an easier piece, not have to spend as much time on the music. And you do these other things like composition or music theory that would maybe lead to even better music composition or whatever you, or, or even with your concert band improvisation or with your orchestra or your choir improvisation what yeah you know like i think people people just people get really freaked out about improvisation especially you know band directors that maybe were oboe players or flute players or whatever instruments that you don't or french horn instruments that in theory don't improvise as much as other people Mm -hmm. you know um you're not a standard jazz instrument say but it it's possible and you can you can take couple really quick little classes to learn a little couple things about improvisation and be surprised you know I mean I've taught kids to improvise and they after a few years they're better at it than I am so I mean yeah Yeah, you gotta just take the time like transform it create the opportunity for them you know I mean it 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 transforms their learning and it's those are the things they're going to remember you know out of out of all those things you know I mean I it's it's uh it's really just like change their world or just inspire them in ways that, you know, are out of the norm. There's nothing wrong with it. We got to think outside the box. I'm so, I get frustrated when it's all, all about tradition. Well, we've always done it this way and this is the way they need to learn. And it's about, no, it's the way that you're telling them they need to learn, not having them let you know how they need to learn, which is where we need to be paying attention. You know, how are you in consuming music? Like, what are you, who are you listening to? I remember, and you made me think of it, you know, uh, I did just that with my my ensembles in, in the private school. I had kids all different levels. They're at the high school, but they came from different school districts, all different levels. I mean, I remember I had one student could barely play G major scale on his alto saxophone, and I had a smoking trumpet player that was like, you know, you know, college level player. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. How are we going to blend all this together? And so it was again trying to find that balance between a higher grade or a lower grade in the music, but we were able to work in so many more things. Let's work on our sound. Let's work on, you know, more cohesive listening and all these other things. It's not just about let's just get this music to the super high level because we've got to impress people, right? It's like, no, what's the rest of the experience going to be like? And and getting them to practice more by having them record their practice sessions. Let's write out your solos, all these things. I had the time to do that because, as, as you just said, we weren't so hyper-focused on how difficult the music had to be, right? So we had allowed the time for those other things. So, yeah, it's like I I – I buck tradition even you know, uh, frequently. Um, I grew up 
a traditionally trained musician, so I'm I'm full fully aware of it and the importance of it. But also, you can meld tradition with 21st century. You just have to do it, and you got to be open to it. You know. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so, so you went to Berkeley. You left. Um, please look up the band Last Cry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sean had Sean had a killer mullet. I uh, think so, I, man, I still got the picture <laughs> of that. I don't have the leather pants anymore. Those are long gone. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think the picture is still up in Charlie's music, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, so you came back and taught, but... When did you, maybe it was with the rock bands, because actually you were in like a high school rock band, The Risk. Were you in that band? Like as a, Yeah, like, yep. Played, played with The Risk for a little bit with the, with the Paddocks and Gouveia and all them. And yeah. Then, Would you say that's where you started getting interested in composition, like with writing rock tunes? Or how, when did um, you become get interested in composition? Oh, gosh. Like in high school. So it was before I was even playing in bands because I, I was – big into film scores in high school. You know, I was listening to like all the greats, John Williams, you know, James Horner, all the, all the really big, you know, film composers of the day and, and loved it. You know, Van Gelis was another one. And so, but I loved electronics. And so I had like, you know, the Roland D50 keyboard. I had a Korg Poly 800. So I was experimenting with electronics. We're going back to like the mid eighties, right? When all that, and then the Yamaha DX7 came out and all that stuff. That really inspired me, and I wanted to start to compose music, and so I listened to a lot of film scores in high school. So that's when I got interested in composition, but I didn't, you know, and I wrote some songs, you know, I was big into Billy Joel, and I was writing songs in that style, and also Bruce Hornsby and things of that nature, but um, Ooh, I side, was so... Side note, yep. Bruce Hornsby, I've been to a bunch of concerts in my day. I've been to two concerts of Bruce Hornsby. The two best concerts I've ever been to, and I'm not kidding. Like I've, and I, I'm talking like I've seen some top-notch performances, oh, yeah. performers. Bruce Hornsby. It's like a lot of people I think don't realize it. You, you, you know, the way it is, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah. a little pop tune, whatever. No, right. this guy can play. And oh yeah. the last concert I went to, which is actually last fall. He's doing Spider Fingers as like an encore, which is like a really cool, if you don't know the tune, like listen to the original, it's got horns and it. it's really cool. He does that. It's just solo, just him. And in the middle of Spider Fingers, works in Giant Steps and blows like four choruses over the top of Giant Steps yep. and then comes back into Spider Fingers. I'm, I'm just floored. I'm yeah. floored. every t- Two times I've been to see him floored. Yo, Anyways, it's insane. Sorry. It's insane. Si- side note, I just, if people... People don't realize how good that guy is. I didn't realize it. I just literally, someone got us tickets to go see him at the Melody Tent. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll go see this. And I was like, what? And that was with a full band. And it was so good. Anyways, side note. Okay, so you wrote some tunes in the vein of Billy Joel, Bruce Hornsby. Keep going. Yeah, and then some electronic stuff like, you know, Van Gaal. So, you know, so so I kind of kept that going. But I was so so locked into being a performer and wanted to play on stage. Cause I mean, I grew up with, you know, my parents performing, you know, my dad was always doing the con, you know, the, the concert bands and the town bands and stuff. My mom would be on stage singing. So, I mean, I grew up with that, you know, and then, and then in theater, they were doing uh, theater as well. So they were doing the pit orchestra. So I was on stage doing theater. So I was always in front of an audience. And so I figured, all right, this is what I need to be doing. So I worked that angle for a long time, both with, you know, doing cover bands. We did, I, I left Berkeley to do the Last Cry original band, you know, for, for doing like sort of the late 80s, early 90s hair band thing. Of course, then Nirvana came out and wiped us off the map oh. and I had to go, okay, 
What do I do next? But here's the entrepreneurial piece of it, the connection to it. I did not want to go back to Berkeley yet because I'm like, I still want to try to do my thing in music, right? So you have to pivot. You've got to know when to pivot and, and how to pivot. And so I said, okay, here's how I'm going to pivot. So, um, you know, some of the guys, so we had the, the drummer and the guitar player from Last Cry, we decided we're going to form a cover band, you know, and at that time you could do very well. You could work full time on a cover band every single night of the week. You could go see a great band play. And I'm sure Syndicate's still around. You know, I was one of the founding members of that band with the two other guys, and they're still going. And we did that full time for like three years, like five nights a week, just playing the thing. I'm out in front of the, I'm in the keyboards, but now I'm out in front of the mic singing a little bit. So kind of kept that thing going. But, um, but again, still just kind of doing some side composing, but not nothing too serious because at the time, again, it's all performance, performance, performance. That's what I want to play. I want to be in bands and I want to try to do that full time. And then, um, you know, and then I was working at Gotts Music for a while. So I, I honed my skills doing music retail. That's how I got my business chops. And I was still teaching, you know, piano lessons out of the back of the store. Um, you know, did that for a number of years as part of that. So that was all kind of became my plan A, right? There was no plan B for me. It's all plan A. There is no plan B. It's like you either make it all work for plan A or you're not aligned with your why, your passion, or your purpose, right? Or why do it, right? So, um, so the but the composition piece of it came later. So when I went back out on the road in like 2004 or five, 2006, um, you know, after my son, you know, son was born, or he got off the road about then I wanted to get into, you know, let me try taking my private teaching. And what does that look like at a more collegiate level? Right. So that's when I landed the gig at New, New England Conservatory as their director of continuing education. And when I landed there, the connection to the composition piece is when I met who became my mentor, and he was a trustee of the college. He owned a, a, a very large um, music production company in L.A. that wrote for TV and film. And he kind of took me under his wing, and then that's when I got turned on to really taking composition more seriously but writing for media. And that really, at that point, launched off that part of my career. And then um, I got into the arts administration stuff. I was still playing a little bit, but then I really started to focus in on, on the – the music composition, and that's where he gave me some of my first breaks in TV and film, writing for you know a bunch of different shows. And to this day, that's a big part of my gig and my life and my artistry outside of Berkeley is I'm writing for you know I'm in in my studio now. I mean, a lot of the work I do comes out of the studio for a lot of these shows, like American Pickers and Twisted Sisters on on Investigation Discovery, a lot of true crime stuff, um, some independent film. But I still play a little bit, you know, even though I got away from it. Um, my good friend Gary Hoey, who is a, a, a well-known blues and rock guitarist, he's like, I'll go and play maybe a half dozen shows with him a year, and it's enough to scratch the itch to keep the playing going. I'm still playing my trumpet, but I'm playing on my cues. So I'm, I'm tracking my own horn parts. I'm, double, I'm doubling up on things, and that's how I still keep my horn going because I don't play trumpet much anymore. But So all of these things and, and my, orchestra, my string training, my violin training, came in absolutely and it was very important to this as far as composing because i understand orchestration as a string player so i have both the string training and both the brass playing um and training to really which has helped me tremendously with the composition work um and being a more effective composer and orchestrator as a result of that so it's all has just come together and you don't realize that it does but it where like where's all this going to lead me and it really gave me this nice great balance of all of these things that's really interesting that that you say that because that that would be something 
a drawback perhaps of maybe having those, you know, music classes for the non-musician and composing for the non-musician would be like someone that got really good at it and would just, but then, you know, was writing things to be played by actual instruments, but didn't know how the instruments worked or didn't realize, Ooh, doing an octave and a half jump on a brass instrument is really not something that you want to try to do or something like that. But that being said, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. There's there's a couple of really well-known composers that it's like they play keyboard and I don't think they know the difference between a half note and a quarter note. I think like I could be wrong. So forgive me, but I think Danny Elfman, I don't think he reads music. I could be wrong on that. Right. He okay. Does not, he does not read music. He's he's a masterful composer. He's phenomenal. He does not read music. And, and, phenomenal. And, and Hans Zimmer, I don't think does either. Right. I knew there was one. I couldn't come up with him. Yep. Hans Zimmer. Yep. I think you're right. And so, but then you know, then you then he has like copyists, right? So like they go in and they fix some stuff that people that sort of do know about that, and they make it yep. for the instruments in the studio. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they have they have their orchestrators. So so uh, Danny has his his orchestrator Steve Bartek, who actually was uh, a member of Boingo Boingo. And so Steve Bartek is he's a great orchestrator. He's worked with Danny for years. And so he'll take Danny's ideas that are just sketched out, and then you know fully put them into more fully fledged um, orchestral composition. Oh, that's 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 way above my knowledge. But I'm always so curious. So that what was your first show or that that you did do composition for um gosh we're going back so when i was teaching at pingree school and it's crazy you never know where the opportunities come from so i left the original blues band to go do that teaching gig but the bass player and i still stayed in touch and and the bass player ended up um you know he was uh he did mortgages for you know for um, mortgage lending so at the time he had a client come in and was working for, and again, this is where you never know where the opportunity is going to come from. That's why one of the things I wanted to mention is that we're in a business of relationships. It's all in who you know and who knows you. So you can be really great at what you do. That's 25% of getting the gig. The other 75% is the relationships. And my point to all is so that when I was teaching, um, you know, my bass player and I were staying in touch. He did this uh, mortgage for this particular uh, producer for the show. It was um, called Celebrity Build, and it was a local show that was going to be on um, – Fox Sports Net New England at the time. It's a network that had that existed. It's not um, that channel doesn't exist. Network is, isn't on anymore. And he's like, "Hey, look." He's like, you know, "They got to talking." And he said, "You know, I was talking with this producer who I gave a mortgage to, and he's, you know, they're talking about they're working on the show, and we're looking for music." And so, you know, he told them that we actually, you know, do music and write for it. So that actually got us our first sort of, you know. Um, journey into writing for that and it was a local tv show and it was like the coolest thing i'm like great it's like my first gig i actually get to hear the music on the show and i i remember it distinctly um it was really cool to have that you know doing that but then later on um when my mentor when i got to new england conservatory and i was writing for bigger shows more things on pbs um there was a show called genealogy roadshow and um where you know uh the the family members would come and they would figure out like who they belong to and sort of their genealogy you know and their history and i remember i knew that my music was going to be in there because my mentor had had you know had uh, his company had been uh, providing the music for that show so i knew it was going to be on and it was, i remember to this day and this we're going back like gosh like 15 years ago at least 
And I remember sitting, watching the episode and just waiting because, like, I knew my music was going to be in there. I didn't know where it was going to be. And when it came on, it was a huge rush. It was it was equal to the rush that I had when I was on stage performing in front of thousands of people. Like, it, it that's what it did for me, you know, and I had that same sort of connection to that music. And then um, – and never looked back from that time, you know, and I think that that's really where that all kind of started. And then, again, just through various relationships, people that I met along the way and – like, hey, what can I do to be of service to you? What can I do to help? That all, that all just came through. Uh, came through. What I learned from from my sales time, like selling, you know, sheet music and pianos and things. There's a sales process. I always tell this to my students. That happens. There's three things in the sales process that needs to happen, and you need to treat your career this way. First of all, they have to like you. So if you were to come into my store and buy a piano from me, you've got to like me first. If you like me, you'll trust me, and if you trust me, you'll buy from me. And so your music career is exactly the same. It's a like-trust-buy factor, but that buy factor could be a referral, be like, hey, I don't have anything for you at this time, but you know, I'm going to recommend you to somebody else for this gig, whatever. It's that process. you know. And so a lot of these things have really become full circle for me and it's synthesized over the years with that. Yeah, I mean, I, that's got to be, I mean, that's very similar to just being a gigging musician. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to the point where you know, whenever I have to hire a group or hire people to play with me, I, even if I know a guy's a really good player, but if I don't like him, or definitely if I think I can't trust him or whatever, I, I'm not hiring him. I, I re, like not even as a last resort. I I would literally rewrite the music or whatever, then hire you know someone that I can't rely on or someone who's going to be inappropriate. At, at a wrong time, like if I'm at a wedding ceremony or a wedding um, reception or something like that. Um, yeah, you got to I mean, leave the egos. Leave the egos at the door. Yeah, you know? I, I would much ra- I'd rather hire an inferior player who I know is going to do the, you know, mm-hmm. you know, still still cut the gig. And, Absolutely. But, but, you know, whatever. And I know that that's the same thing in, in L.A. Like I know there's uh, – that scene out there a little bit just from some friends that are out there or even New York City and a lot of it is just you know the nice guys work more shocker <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah right exactly. I mean <laughs> you know so uh yeah no I I can totally see that and and I know it's it is uh being prepared at the right time you know I've I've made thousands of dollars over the years subbing for someone else Mm -hmm. and then coming in and and doing a good job you know have to be ready have to be prepared and and be good at your craft but then you know hey i'm a you know i'm a nice guy i was easy to get along with i didn't ruffle any feathers came early helped clean up at the end you know help pack up gear that wasn't mine help load the truck or whatever and you know and then the guy that i sub for ends up moving and I get that that gig for a few years. I mean, that's there happened like two or three times with me, you know. And and um, and that's you know, I always tell my students that, you know, or especially the the older kids that I come in touch with, is like, you know, be prepared, be nice, be gracious, you know. Yeah. And um, and that's it's the same in the composition world. I guess it's the same in anything, right? <laughs> it is. You know, the whole industry is like you can't go into a situation where like what's in it for me? You know, like how it's 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 how can I be of service to you? What can I do to help? And that goes such a long way to as you talked about to getting other gigs or being recommended like 
it's all relationships. It's all relationships. There is no shortcut. It takes time to build those. So uh, a couple questions that I ask every uh, every guest. Um, first is going to be, what are your top two or three musical memories? Could be anything. Oh, my gosh. I got to say, I would say not they're not specific period or specific like day or time. I would say it's like an actual period. I got to say probably one of the most fun times was, was high school, you know, marching band. We had Tony Stevens, you know, got to give a big shout out. Was, was oh, very absolutely. much, absolutely, you know, uh, of part of my, part of my life and, and growing up and, and, uh, you know, the friends that I made are still close friends of mine to this day from yep. that time. You know, they're, that's like my, that's like my, my core group, you know, that's, um, you know, uh, I'd say definitely that, and that's one of the key times. And then I, I'd say the period of, of my growing up with my parents being in music, I mean, that completely transformed. I was immersed in so much music and, and artistically that it definitely played an important role in what I was able to do, and they were always so supportive of that. And then just in later years, to be able to come back, and when my father was conducting the concert band, to be able to actually come back and, and you know, even in my formative years, playing under his baton in those groups and then coming back much later, we ended up taking some of the music I had used in American Pickers and on his, I think it was like his 65th or 60th anniversary, concert anniversary, like we got to play the music. He arranged it. I said, all right, because that was his thing. He loved to do his arrange. I said, all right, here are the cues. I've got a short score. You arrange all of that. So be able to come back so many years later and actually collaborate with him on something musically in such a different way. Um, I never, I never forgot those moments. Those were some probably the most impactful, impactful times. Nice. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. Your high school band director, orchestra teacher, choral director, you, you're with them for four years mostly, and they end up being incredible influences, right? And, you know, the, the, the program we had, I don't want to say it was just marching band based, but obviously the marching band, especially, you know, for the first, three months of school was pretty huge. Right. Um, and, but that was, you know, that's also where you build such strong relationships on that marching band field. You know, let's, let's be honest, like all the work you put into it. And then the art, that art of moving together as a unit and playing together, there's something that brings you together on that, that I, even more so, I would honestly say, even more so than like in a concert band or a jazz band. And not that you don't get that camaraderie in those groups, yeah. but there's something about the marching band. It's interesting, right? Um, it's funny. I don't do marching band anymore. I'm so I'm a DCI nut. Like I love I love watching DCI drum corps like big time. But um, I don't do anything with marching band anymore. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a lot of work, my friend. A lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, did, when did uh, what, something I didn't ask earlier actually? When did you realize? Like, do you remember like a time where you're like, "I'm going to go into music too. I'm going to be. I'm going to go to music school." Yeah, I knew. I knew before I got into my freshman year in high school that I wanted to do music for a career, which is not necessarily. Maybe back then wasn't as common. I mean, I think it's probably a little bit more common now. Where you know kids that are really engaged are just like, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, and I think they're discovering that more now because we've got like American Idol and we have the voice, like they're exposed to so much more than we were growing up. 
Um, it was definitely in high school, you know, before, right before I got into high school, I knew I wanted to do something in music, whether it was teaching, whether it was performing. I wanted to do the rock star thing, whether it was composition, all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, some moments in my high school days of sitting down with my, you know, counselors and like, well, you need to do this, take chemistry and take this. I'm like, no, I need music classes. Like, I know this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, the AP music theories and I want to do chorus and I want to do orchestra and I want to take jazz band. I'm like, I need these things, you know? And I'm so glad that I, I stood my ground and said, this is what I need and took control of my education as best as I could um, to to set myself up for everything else that happened afterwards. Even even coming down to my science classes, like I didn't take physics and biology. I'm like, I want to do the electronics class. I'm living electronics every day of my life with all of the gear I'm using, right? So it was so... I, I didn't know that it would lead to that, but I knew it would be so helpful for that. And and I had no intentions of ever, like, working at Berkeley. That was not even ever my plan. It's just things, you know, I was riding that wave, and something came this way, something came on the left-hand side, and it's okay, now I've got to make the, the creative risk decision to jump on that in an intelligent risk and see where that's going to lead me, because you never know where things are going to go. You just you, you just ride with it, and you network like crazy, build those relationships, and just let it go where it's going to go because you, you, you have no idea. I mean, I I always remember telling my parents, I'm like, I will never set foot in a classroom and teach. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to do – what I was saying is I didn't want to do public school because that wasn't for me, right? But when I got into private school, I loved it. When I got into arts administration at, at the college level, loved it. You know, so it kind of just evolved from there. Yep. So my last question is when you're in the car, yep. what are you listening to on the radio? Oh, great question. So like everything because of I have to be so immersed in, in current trends and, you know, the music of the day that's that's going on, you know, because I'm, I'm advising students on on various different things and I've got to be hip to what's on, you know, Billboard and all these other things, literally everything. So um, I'm, I'm constantly listening to like, you know, playlists and all these other things that are, you know, like. I got playlists set up like film scores. I'm in a film score mood today. So I've, it's like, you know, 3,000 tracks of just film scores on shuffle. It's wonderful. And then, you know, the next thing you know, I'll listen to like my time capsule. So it's taking me back to Journey and ACDC and Led Zeppelin, right? And then another day I'm, I'm doing, you know, uh, you know new um, classical works that are out there. So some of the great, you know, new, um, in, you know, more um, unique types of pieces and things of that nature. So, and then when... Um, the uh, AI DJ came out on Spotify. Oh, that's a game changer because now I can listen to all of that. Like he's, he's, you know, my AI DJ X as he's called, you know, rips through all of that. I'll be, I'll be listening to like a Radiohead tune, and then I get a classical, you know, Shostakovich work comes on with his like his jazz symphony and 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 uh, suites, and then and then the next thing you know, it's like, you know, I'm listening to like a, a, a film score from you know James Horner or something. It's awesome. So it's literally like everything it's everything yeah I no that's myself. very similar to me i i i have like my jazz big band sort of playlist yep. i've got like my 90s rock sort of playlist i have like yep. you know sort of like a, a chill play you know yeah oh, all yeah. of it concert band orchestra all that stuff it's really funny yeah i, I will say when you mentioned the newport jazz festival because i i used to, i listened to a lot of jazz growing up i had bill evans you know chet baker miles davis uh 
you know, uh, a lot of those cats. And it's like I'd gotten away from that just because I got in, you know, interested in other aspects of music and especially with writing and composing for TV and film. I've had to listen to so much more than just jazz. When I got to the Newport Fest, the Newport Jazz Festival and came back, I'm like, man, it reintroduced me to music that I had gotten away from, you know. And so reinvigorated, like, you know what, I'm going to go back to some of these albums I used to listen to. And they were great, you know. So it was kind of like nice to go through that experience again. So you've got to constantly feed yourself creatively, like just, you know, check out from what you're doing. Go enjoy something, take in some culture, musically, artistically, whatever it is, man, it's going to really just get you back to where you need to be. You know, you hit, you hit that reset button. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I def- I revisited some Chet Baker transcriptions uh, at the oh end of God. last year, and I was like, man, ooh, I haven't been doing this in a while. <laughs> it was, oh uh, yeah, woo, yeah. okay, uh, well, that's great. Thanks so much, Sean. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and doing this, taking the time. Well, I appreciate uh, you reaching out. Thank you. It was great, um, great, and good luck uh, with composing and everything. And I I love to uh, I I. I, every now and then I'll just turn on American Pickers. I go, oh, that's Sean, yeah. man. That's so cool. You, you know, you know what I learned from all of it real quick? It's, it's, it's your, I always tell my students this, your career is not a destination. It's a journey. You don't arrive, you evolve. And, yeah. and like, you're going to continue to evolve. I'm still evolving. And I've been in the industry as a professional for 30, over 30 years. Like, it's just, it, it's okay. You know, it's not this, it's this, you know? Sure. Absolutely. But I appreciate you. It's so good to reconnect and and, uh, be honest with you. It's it's wonderful with these kinds of opportunities. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Everything Music Ed podcast. Be sure to check out future episodes as we talk to other educators from different teaching environments and cover areas of instruction such as concert band, jazz band, marching band, chorus, orchestra, general music, music tech, special needs, and much more. The theme music for the Everything Music Ed podcast is Jig, composed and arranged by Wally Minko. Jig is performed by Wayne Bergeron and can be found on his album, Full Circle. The Everything Music Ed podcast logo was created by Sarah Goulart. Thank you.